All right, we're going to go right into our study this morning in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 10. Take out your worship guide. I've put together a couple of notes for you as we go along in our study today that might help you. And um, man, what a great morning we've had. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 is where we're going to be reading. How do you view children? Uh, The title of my message this morning is Only Children Allowed. How do you view children? How do you view children? Um, I think a lot of us would say we like kids, right? Hopefully you do. (laughs) Uh, We're going to be talking about that today. The disciples didn't care much for them. They thought that they were a nuisance and a bother. Um, We're going to talk about maybe why that was. Um, I think we all love children, but let me tell you a little joke, all right? Are you ready? Um, A group of expectant fathers were in a waiting room waiting on their wives who were in the process of delivering their babies. (laughs) And uh, many of you have been there recently, husbands. And Jason will be there not too long, Jason, just a couple of weeks. Well, a nurse came in and told the first man whose wife was having a baby that she had just given birth to twins. Twins, Jessica? Twins, twins. Um, And he's like, wow, that's, he was excited. He's like, wow, that's crazy. I'm a baseball player for the Minnesota Twins. After a couple of minutes, another nurse came in and told the second man there, who, whose wife was there uh, bringing, uh, delivering babies, you just had triplets. And the guy said, whoa, that's amazing. I work for 3M. At this point, the third man basically passed out on the floor in front of them. He was like laying out, oh, me. They're like, what's wrong? It's like, I work for the 7-Up Soda Company. Anyway, <laughs> Anyway, I think we all love kids. I'm not sure if I could handle seven babies at once. I've seen several of our new moms uh, share and just talk about the joys of motherhood, but also the challenges. And I think we all like kids, but I'm not sure if I would like seven babies all at once. Can I get a witness? That would be <laughs> quite a, uh, a feat. But anyway, how do we view children? Are they a group that we love dearly and warmly embrace Or are they merely a group to tolerate, catch this, until they get to adulthood? Uh, Charles Francis Adams, a 19th century political figure and diplomat, he kept a diary. And one day he entered the following, catch this. He says he went fishing with his son today, and he says that it was a day wasted. He viewed children and his relationship with his son as kind of a waste of time. In the same, on, on that same day, his son, Brooke Adams, also kept a diary, which is still in existence to this day. And on that day, Brooke Adams made this entry. He says, I went fishing with my father today, the most wonderful day of my life. You know, the father thought that he was wasting his time while fishing with his son. But his son saw it as an incredible investment. So how do we view children? You see, the disciples had a similar view, I think, that probably Charles Adams had. They viewed children as this necessary age to tolerate until they get to adulthood. And and what's interesting, I think, as we read this passage, and let's go ahead and read it, verses 13 through 16. It's not a long passage. Uh, Verses 13 through 16, it says in Mark chapter 10, And they brought young children to him that, that, that he should touch them, And his disciples rebuked those that brought the children. But when Jesus saw it, so basically the disciples said, only adults allowed. 
We don't have time. Jesus doesn't have time for kids, okay? Don't bother the master with bringing all of your children to see Jesus. Now, why would they respond that way? We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. And he said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Why did the disciples view uh, kids in such a negative way? And the reality is, is although we might not view it in the same exact way today, a lot of times we view kids as this group to tolerate until they get to adulthood, rather than warmly and lovely, lovingly embracing them for who they are, where they are now. In Jewish culture, it's interesting, as you study the times of when the Bible was written, of course, for us, most people in the modern West regard tenderness to children as a virtue. Uh, relief organizations on TV will appeal for support by showing little lives that have been uh, deeply affected by hunger and war. Politicians, hello, politicians, secure votes by kissing babies. Now, probably not in this election that's not happened because of COVID, but, but politicians love to kiss babies. Why? Because in our culture... Uh, children are viewed a little, obviously a little bit better, and we're going to talk about why that is. It's actually because of Christianity, I believe. But in ancient Jewish society, however, they did not regard children with the same affection that we do today. Children like women, catch this, they both had it difficult. Children like women derived their position in society solely and primarily through their relationship to adult males. Sons, to be sure, were regarded as a blessing from God in Jewish culture, but only largely because they ensured the continuance of the family name for another generation. And also, sons were good for workforce on the family, in the family business. Childhood was typically regarded as this unavoidable interim between birth and adulthood. And so when a boy reached age 13 in Jewish culture, he was then considered a grown man, and he was welcomed into adulthood. So that's how Jewish culture viewed kids. It was really just this necessary time period that you tolerate. Roman culture was even worse. <laughs> um, Roman culture, the head, catch this, the head of the male family, he would have literally the opportunity when the baby was born, the uh, midwife who delivered the child would bring the baby in, lay it in the middle of the floor of the home, and the head male of the family would either pick that baby up and embrace it, which signified that they would then bring it into the family, or he had the choice of not picking the child up, and the midwife would then take that baby outside and put that baby on the trash left exposed to the elements. This was Roman culture at that time. Many times, those babies that were left to die outside in the elements, people would come by and actually take those babies. Those babies, many times, were taken and turned into slaves or prostitutes or gladiators. That was the condition of the first century Roman culture. And so when you take Roman culture and how they were treating children, you take Jewish culture and how they viewed children, no wonder that the disciples come to this and say, Jesus, you don't have time for kids. Boy, did that displease Jesus. 
And so with this understanding in mind of both Jewish and Roman culture at that time as we read these verses this morning, you can start to get a grasp of what could possibly be influencing the disciples with their wrong view of children when people started bringing kids to Jesus. And so what do we learn in this passage today? Three truths I want to give to you and we'll be done. Number one, we learn here in this passage how to treat children. How to treat children. Look at verses 13 and 14. Clearly, the disciples thought that they should rebuke those who were bringing children to Jesus. And we see that in verse um, 13. So people are bringing young children to Jesus because they wanted him to touch them. In that culture, for a man of respect, a Jewish rabbi, a leader, a spiritual teacher, for him to lay his hands on people and bless them was truly an honor. And so you see that throughout the Old Testament. Uh, great spiritual leaders in the Old Testament would lay their hands on people to confer a blessing. That's what these people, most likely maybe parents, were wanting is for Jesus to bless their children. But notice the disciples rebuked those that brought them. So who are we more like? <laughs> Are we the kind of people that would be bringing and loving little children to Jesus? Or would be, we be like the disciples saying, don't bother Jesus. Children are just something, someone to tolerate until they get to adulthood. Who are we more like? How do churches sometimes view children? Sometimes we view children as, well... We have to get them out of a certain worship environment because all they'll do is just be a nuisance. Kids, I don't believe that. Now, is it sometimes hard for kids to sit still and not be loud? Of course it is. But we love kids here at Fairview. And the reason, just so you know, the reason that we have them go to junior church, and hopefully we'll start that back soon, and, and again, we, we leave that up to every family to decide whether their children go or not, but the reason that we believe junior church is important is because there is, to a certain degree, a way that we can minister directly to their age group on their level, but it's not just to keep them busy so that we don't have them in here bothering us. That's not the primary motivation for why we do children's ministry. In fact, I believe that children's ministry is one of the most exciting, most possible, powerful ministries in a local church. Why? Because you are having the opportunity to introduce this little soul to God. Wow! That's incredible! And so, sometimes we slip into that view, though, don't we? Like the disciples. Ah! You know, kids, got to tolerate them until they get to maybe the teen group, and then we maybe we'll kind of tolerate them, right, teenagers? <laughs> we'll kind of tolerate teens. And it's like we fall into that same trap that the disciples did. So who are we more like? Are we more like the disciples who tolerate or maybe even rebuke people who bring kids? Or do we welcome the children like Jesus did? Do we bring them? Maybe, he was, maybe here's even a more practical way to ask it. <laughs> if you're able... Are you willing to serve in Kids Point Ministries? When you saw that announcement earlier from Pastor Don about the Kids Point Interest Luncheon, did you go, oh. And maybe you serve, but maybe when you serve, you're like, oh, I got to work with the kids today. Rather than, yes, I get to work with the children today. It's a battle, isn't it? And so I just say that to get us thinking about the opportunity that we have 
to embrace this opportunity to minister to this age group. And so we see here in these first few verses how we should treat children. They aren't a group to just tolerate until they get to adulthood. No, they are a group. They are an age to embrace, to introduce them to Jesus, to see them develop a heart for God. And so when we view and treat children like they are a nuisance, Jesus is very clear here, it's not only wrong, but it highly displeases him. Notice what it says in verse 14. But when they saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them. So he was much displeased. He said unto them, suffer the little children to come to me. You see what Jesus is doing in these verses? Oh, don't miss this. Jesus is elevating in that time period, the way they viewed children was almost subhuman, sadly. Clearly the Romans viewed kids as commodities. They weren't even souls, right? And so the Jews had this flawed view of children. Romans clearly had a flawed view of children. But notice what Jesus was doing here. He was elevating the children's worth and value. And he was saying that children were just as important as adults. Why? Because every single human being is made in the image of God. Why does Jesus get so upset? Why does he get so upset at this kind of prejudice? Why does he get upset at other kinds of prejudice that are out there in the world? Listen, there's so many today, aren't there? Ethnic prejudice, social status prejudice, economic prejudice, all those. You know why they're all highly break the heart of God? Because everyone is made in the image of God. And so Jesus here is highly, highly upset. In fact, it's one of the strongest Greek words. That word displeased there, it's actually a very, very strong Greek word for ticked off, literally. I mean, that's how we would think about it. In a good way, he was righteously indignant because the disciples, his own followers, hello, his own followers had slipped into thinking that these children were just a group to be tolerated rather than embraced. And so in this time and culture, kids were annoying. Uh, kids were anno- uh, annoying. They were sadly disposed of. They were used in vile ways. You see, in the Roman culture especially, when kids were taken off of the trash pile, those people would use those kids as gladiators and in other ways. But you know what changed all that? You know why we view kids differently today in Western culture? It's largely because of Christianity. If you study it out, what you'll find is in the first century and second century, Romans were still practicing that barbarism. But Christians started going by those trash heaps and started picking up those babies and taking them home, putting them in orphanages, adopting them. Why do we have adoption today? Why do we have Christian orphanages in our world today? I would submit to you it started right here in verse 14 of Mark chapter 10. The disciples learned the heart of Jesus towards kids. And it changed their view forever of how they viewed children. You know, we look at what the Romans did in casting their kids out. But you know what? Times sadly haven't changed much, have they? Over one in five of all pregnancies in the U.S. end in abortion every year. We look at what the Romans did and we say, how barbaric. Our culture today does the same thing, just behind a medical curtain. 20% of all children have been sexually abused. 20%. 
20% of children live in poverty. 33% of children live in a home absent of a biological father. 25% of children live in a home with no father figure, even a stepfather in the picture. 400,000 children today are in foster care in America. But you know what? Jesus loves the little children, doesn't he? And if we're going to love people like Jesus has loved us, we should love children too. Jesus gets indignant when we keep children from love and blessing, and we should get indignant too. We should stand up and speak out for children of all ages, both in the womb and out of the womb. Psalm 82, Psalm 82 verse 3 says, Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. And so Jesus talks about here in these couple of verses, listen, here's how you treat kids. They have the same worth that an adult does. They've both been made in the image of God. But secondly, he transitions. And he not only talks about how we should treat children, but now he's going to use the children that, that were brought. I love how Jesus would do this on several occasions. He would take the situation he was in and use it as a teaching tool, as a metaphor. How many teachers we got out there? Raise your hand, teachers. Come on, teachers. Yeah, we got teachers all across our community. And, and can I just say this? I am thankful for moms that teach at home. I am thankful for Christians that are teaching in public schools and all across Christian schools, public schools, home schools. You know why? Because every place is a mission field. Every place is valuable and is needed. We need Christians in every one of those categories that are making a difference in kids' lives. And so we see here in this, in this study that Jesus is now going to use a metaphor. So teachers, isn't it great when you can just take a metaphor that's right there in front of you and use it as a teaching moment? That's what Jesus did. He was a master at that. So he takes children and he's now going to teach a powerful teaching on the gospel of how we receive the gospel, how we receive the kingdom. Jesus loves the children because they're made in the image of God, and he also loves kids for how they picture what it means to become a true Christian. So how to receive the kingdom? Look at verse 15. He says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. A couple of things I underlined here in this verse because I think it's important. First of all, that phrase, shall not. That is very, very, again, strong language in the original Greek. Basically, Jesus is saying, you shall, 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 shall never enter the kingdom unless you receive the kingdom of God as a little child. Now, what does he mean by receiving the kingdom of God as a little child? There's been a lot of discussion over the years on that. Some people say, well, to receive the kingdom of God like a little child means that you're innocent, pure, sweet, and humble. Question, how many of us know little kids that aren't innocent, pure, sweet, and humble? Can I get a witness? I mean, kids, we love you, but sometimes you're not so innocent. You're mischievous. You're not so uh, sweet. And so he's not talking about moral qualities to try to emulate. Catch this. Sometimes we misread what Jesus says here and we say, well, to receive the kingdom, I've got to try to be innocent. I've got to try to be pure. I've got to try to be sweet and humble. If that's the case, you're trying to save yourself because those are qualities we can never do in our own strength. The quality that he's talking about here is interesting. He's not talking about moral qualities that we are trying to emulate. What's true about a child? I mean, I'm talking about a baby, a child. 
And that's the word child here in the Greek. It's talking about a baby, I mean, a helpless infant. That's the quality, isn't it? A child is utterly helpless. Utterly helpless. Um, I love what R. Kent Hughes, a theologian, said on this passage of Scripture in studying this week. He said, every single child in the world, catch this, is absolutely, completely, totally, objectively, subjectively, and existentially helpless. And so it is with anyone and everyone who has come, who has become a true Christian. To receive the kingdom, I am utterly helpless and I have nothing. We know that reality, don't we? We know that if we leave kids alone for five seconds, they can blow up the place. Why? Because they're helpless. Why do we instinctively as parents take care of our little newborn infant? Because we know that without feeding them, they're not going to feed themselves. Without protecting them, they're not going to protect themselves. And so what Jesus is trying to paint the picture of here is you've got to come to him as a child, meaning you've got, if you're going to enter heaven, if you're going to begin a personal relationship with the God of the the universe, you don't bring anything into the deal. He is the deal. It's all Christ. It's all his grace through simple faith. And so Jesus says here, in order to receive the kingdom, you come as an utterly helpless child. Martin Luther said, we are simply beggars. It is true. With an authority such as only a holy God can claim, Jesus Christ is God speaking here. Jesus promises the kingdom to those whose faith resembles the empty hand of of a beggar. A beggar. That's why Romans 3:28 says this, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without anything we bring in our hands to try to earn it, without the deeds of the law. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why you have rejected what you thought was Christianity because you thought Christianity was just another one of the many hundreds of religions in the world. No, you see, Christianity isn't just another one of the hundreds of religions in the world. Why? Because religion says, here's what you have to do to get saved and then to maintain your salvation because you've got to try to live up to it. The gospel, according to the Bible, doesn't say that at all. The message of Christianity is, you can't. Welcome to the club. We're all sinners. We are hopeless and helpless without Christ. And so, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Utterly helpless. I can't do anything to save myself. It's when a person realizes that for the first time, that the lights come on in the soul, and that translation from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light happens in a millisecond of heavenly time when that person realizes they bring nothing to the equation it's all christ all i have is christ as jonathan edwards put it the only thing that i even contributed to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary for me to be saved whoa talk about being utterly helpless that's utter helplessness only empty hands can be filled And so the gospel says, Jesus plus nothing equals 
everything. I thought I had that slide, but I don't. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But the gospel also equally says Jesus plus anything ruins everything. Jesus plus nothing, you get it all. You get him, you get hope eternal, hope that springs eternal. But if you try to add to Jesus, you miss out. It's Christ alone. And here's what's interesting. He says in verse 15, I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter. Notice the difference. He says, unless you receive now, you cannot enter later. So he says, the decision you make in this life is of supreme importance. And everybody that is hearing my voice this morning realize the crucial reality of what you're hearing. Unless you receive Christ in this life, you cannot enter with him into the next life. He says, unless you receive him empty-handed, not bringing any of your works of righteousness to the table to, 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 to try to qualify you as being somehow worthy. No, you come as a child, utterly helpless and dependent, saying, Christ, it is you alone. Unless you do that on this side of eternity, there's no opportunity to enter in once this life is over. So we see how we receive the kingdom, utterly helpless. And then finally, we see what do we get upon entering the kingdom? What do we get upon entering the kingdom? Look at verse 16. It says, And he took them up in his arms, and he put his hands upon them, and blessed them. Amen? Amen. Here's what happens. Notice, notice what happens here, Okay? Jesus took them up in his arms. The kids come to Jesus in utter helplessness. But notice what happens. The people that were bringing him only wanted Jesus to touch them and bless them. Okay? That's all that he wanted. But notice what Jesus does. Notice what Jesus does. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, I mean, I might as well admit it, right? And it's all right. Don't be embarrassed for whoever, whoever child is. I didn't even see. It just means that they're agreeing with the preacher in the message. He's saying amen, that's all. But we don't want his amens to, uh, can somebody grab those back doors in case he is uh, filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues? Can, can, can someone close those two doors? Thank you. Appreciate that. Normally we catch that. Hey, and this isn't the first time this has happened. And this just reminds us that uh, we are thankful for the little children. I, I'm actually glad that that happened today. I really am. I am so thankful. I am thankful for kids. But catch this. Notice, don't miss this, okay? They were coming just looking for a touch from Jesus. <laughs> you know what? Jesus always goes far beyond what you were expecting. Do you see it? He not only touches them, he takes them up in his arms and embraces them. Embraces them. What is he saying by that? I think what he's saying is, is you know, when you come to me as a child, I'm not just going to touch you at a distance and leave you at arm's length. When you come to me in faith, you're going to get so much more than what you were even looking for. You see, Jesus says, you're not only forgiven... What he's saying is, not only will I 
lay my hands upon you and forgive you of your sin. But now you can come near. I'm going to embrace you. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, the one that Colossians says spoke the stars into existence, galaxies, the very atoms that hold this finite reality together. By him, all things consist. You and I get to have a close relationship with him. Many of you have never heard that. You've heard in religion that God is always angry at you. We're always uncertain of his heart towards us and he keeps us at arm's length. That's a lie from the devil himself. In Christ, you are not only forgiven, you are brought near, you are embraced. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is Lord over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus wants you to have a relationship with him. Are you going to receive that today? Are you going to continue, or are you going to, continue to hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve did, thinking that God was after them to get them? No, he wasn't. He was after them so that he could provide a sacrifice to reestablish relationship with him. This has been the lie from the beginning, and it's the lie that continues. It's the one that the, uh, the, the, that the enemy of human souls tries to continue to feed to people, that God doesn't have time for you, that God wants to keep you at arm's length, that God's only tolerating you. But this passage here says, no, when we come to him as an utterly helpless child, we are not only touched and blessed by the laying on of his hand, but we are embraced. Isn't this what we've all longed for our entire life? That sense of being known, of having genuine relationship. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Weight of Glory, he said, catch this, the sense that in this universe we are treated as strangers. We have this longing to be acknowledged, to meet with some response, to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality. It's part of our inconsolable secret. He says we're all searching for this. And surely from this point of view, the promise of glory in the sense being described becomes highly relevant to our deep desire. For glory means good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. He's talking about a relationship with God, of knowing Jesus as we close today, as we think about what we've heard, Jesus talks about how we should treat children. He talks about how we receive the kingdom. And then he talks about what we get when we enter the kingdom. Not only forgiveness of sins, but an embrace, closeness with God. So I thought about that embrace. I thought, you know, the only reason that we get the loving embrace of Jesus is because he loved us enough to embrace we get his hands laid upon us because his hands were pierced for us. We get his blessing laid upon our life because he was willing to take our curse upon himself. The only way that we can be welcomed and receive anything on that day is because he was willing to lose everything for us. By his poverty, we've been made rich. 
And so when you see this, when you see these truths this morning, then you can come to him in the right way with nothing in your hands. Only empty hands can be filled, utterly helpless like a child. That is, friends, the only way to come to him. And so let me ask you, have you cast off every other confidence and have you put your tri- trust in Christ alone as a child with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning? I'm going to ask Rebecca to come and play softly Amazing Grace as we close our service this morning. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you would say, Brian, there has been a time in my life when I have come to Christ as an utterly helpless child, meaning I didn't come wanting to start a relationship with God, promising I would try to do good enough. Friends, there's nothing in the equation that you bring except the sin that made it necessary for your redemption and rescue. Have you come to God like that? Have you trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins? But not only that, I think sometimes we, we, we present the gospel as this get out, get out of jail free card, you get forgiven. But we don't talk about the second half of the gospel, and that is you get a relationship with the God of the universe. The one who knew that you would be born in time and space and the one who thought it worth it to come and die so that you could be brought in and embraced. Wow, he, he embraced the cross so that he could embrace you. So how many of you would say, Brian, there has been a time in my life when I have come in the way that Jesus says, as a child, helpless, and as best as I knew how on that day, I placed my faith in Christ as my Lord and Savior. There's been a time in my life where that has occurred. And I'm so thankful for my relationship with Jesus. I'm thankful that he's forgiven me. And I'm thankful that he's embraced me. And that I have a relationship with him. If that's you and you can say that honestly in your heart, would you raise your hand this morning all across this room? Brian, that's me. Thank you. You can put your hands down. If you couldn't raise your hand, then I invite you right now to consider the truth of the gospel that you've heard today. There's no better time to start a true and lasting eternal relationship with God than right now. And so just come. Come as a child. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm helpless. (laughs) I know I can't save myself. And God, I come to you today. I believe that you sent Jesus to do for me what I could never do for myself as best as I know how right now I'm asking you to be my savior to forgive me of my sins Lord I'm I'm asking today I want to start a relationship with you I'm thankful that you've made that possible in Jesus if you just prayed in your heart something similar to that there's no magical words but if you really want to trust Christ today and And you're coming today, maybe for the first time in your life, as an utterly helpless child. And you say, you know, Brian, that's my heart. I want to receive Christ. And I just prayed along with you there. And I mean it in my heart. I want a relationship with God. I want the security of knowing that I'm forgiven of all of my sin. And that I have a relationship with the God of the universe. If 
that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? Brian, that's my heart. I want to trust Christ today. I want to know him as my Savior, as my Lord, as my King, as my friend. You see, not only does God love us, he actually likes us <laughs> so much that he wants to spend eternity with us. And I'm so thankful for that. If you're watching by way of live stream and you prayed today to receive Christ, would you let us know by going to myfairvindicator.com and clicking on that connect button? Maybe you already filled out a card, but fill out another one and there's a box on there that you can check letting us know that you prayed to receive Christ. If you do and you share your address, we will send you a gift as you start your new relationship with the Lord. If you prayed to receive Christ in this room today, I didn't see any hands, but maybe you were just shy and not sure if people would be looking. Please come and talk to me after the service and let me know that. I'll be right up here at the front of the auditorium and I'd love to connect with you and um, just encourage you if, you if you prayed to receive Christ today. We'd love to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. But today, many of us know Christ, don't we? So how are we looking at children? <laughs> Do we sometimes slip into that trap of looking at them as just a group to tolerate until they get to adulthood? How many of us would be honest enough to say, Pastor, sometimes that's my perspective. I get like the disciples. And today's message encouraged my heart to have the right perspective. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? Anybody like that today? Thank you for your honesty. We all can slip into that. How many of you are excited about children and what God is at work doing in the lives and hearts of little boys and girls? How many of you would say, Pastor, I'm excited about children. I'm excited about children's ministry at Fairview Baptist Church. If that's you, would you raise your hand this morning? Amen. A whole room. Praise the Lord. Father, I pray that we would leave this place today not only with the right perspective of children. I only touched upon it for a few moments today, but it certainly applies to us in this day and hour. Lord, that we would also have a right perspective on every other group in our society right now. There's so much confusion out there today with prejudice and bias and all kinds of things that are being done. Father, we know that every human being is made in the image of God. And you made a way for them to come to know you as, your, as their Savior. And so, Father, help us today not only to look at children with a different set of eyes, but to look at our coworkers with a different set of eyes, to look at our neighbors, to look at those that we come in contact with in our mission field every day of every week. Give us a fresh perspective and help us to see how that through the gospel, you want to embrace them. You want to embrace them. Lord, we thank you for this time together as your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.